1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Danelle Wolford of Weedham and Reap to talk about her experience raising animals, growing food, and backyard farming. Danelle is a former healthcare provider, mother of two children, and creator of the blog Weedham and Reap. Danelle started to take interest in a healthier lifestyle after suffering from two debilitating chronic illnesses. On a mission to create her own farm... Danelle forced, or rather lovingly persuaded, her husband to purchase a ranch home on an acre of land and transform it into their very own urban farm. Danelle blogs at Weedem & Reap, where she writes about sustainable backyard farming, traditional food, and natural remedies. Welcome to the show today, Danelle.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Oh my gosh, I you know... Thank you for being here. You know, we've met a couple of times in person, and and when it struck me that, oh my gosh, I gotta get Danelle on here, it was uh, really exciting for me that you jumped in the way that you did. So thanks. yeah,
2: Yeah, I'm glad, I'm excited to be here.
0: So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm kind of known as the goat lady, but I don't really, uh, I don't really have a farming background. So I actually grew up just a city girl, loved animals, but didn't really have a farming bone in my body. Uh-huh. And I started to struggle with some health issues and and just just little things here and there. And so I was as I was researching health and what I could do, I I was just so attracted to the farm lifestyle and. I don't know how I got it in my head that I needed a goat, but just all of a sudden one day, I was like, this is this is what I got to do. I got to go get a goat. We started to look for land where we could own a goat, and then I got my goat. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just got my first goat. And um, When was that? That was probably, I think, eight years ago. Oh, I my gosh. I think eight years ago, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, I remember that first experience of... Um, not knowing anything and jumping right in,
1: uh-huh.
2: uh, we were pretty apprehensive about owning anything other than a dog, or, you know, just like a domestic little household animal. But when we started with chickens and goats and all that, it just really opened our eyes to to the whole lifestyle of growing your own food, and it just sparked something in us. And so I started to. Uh, have people say, hey, you should write about this. So I started to write about it. And in the beginning, it was just writing about all of my failures, mm. um, all of the ridiculous things that happen when you get your first goat and you don't know what you're doing. And it started to get more and po- more and more popular. And then I realized um, after I got some experience under my belt, I probably should give actual advice, <laughs> not to show like what I'm doing wrong. And so I started to do that and I just noticed there were more and more and more people in the world doing what I was doing and we had this connection. And so uh, I just feel like now I have all of these farming friends all over the world and Australia, New Zealand and Ireland and in the U S and we all just, you know, we're just trying to grow our own food and get back to that more basic style of living.
0: Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. So what really got you interested in farming?
2: Well... Really, it was it was probably just my health issues and really realizing that there weren't a lot of options for me. I was really wanting to um, raise my family on raw milk, especially raw goat's milk. My son was dealing with asthma, and I had read that that was one of the best things you could do for kind of a sickly asthma allergy child. And so so we started with that, and um, and that really is what got me interested. I, I was pretty – I was such a newbie. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, but just diving right in was probably one of the best things I could have ever done, and that just led me to years of practice, and now I you know everything about it.
0: Wow! All right, so you said it earlier, and I, you kind of came across my radar this way, but the goat lady.
1: Yes. So, so <laughs> yeah.
0: say more about you know what happened, and you, you said a little bit about it, but tell us the story, and and because that's kind of exploded. You got what almost a hundred thousand people following you on Facebook.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. You know, I initially when I first got my goat, <laughs> that's such a like phrase, you know, but I say it all the time. Uh huh. I really didn't know anything. And so, um, some of the original posts I wrote about were like the first time trying to milk my goat and I didn't, I, you know, I, I bought my goat, brought it home and got all ready and was ready to have this delicious milk and squeezed and squeezed and nothing came out. and so, Oh my gosh just like you know crying tears like what am i supposed to do and so i went and got my old breast pump from um <laughs> oh
0: from, wow
2: yeah yeah very innovative and so i brought it out and it totally worked and so anyway, i wrote i wrote about that and i just think people just really thought all my little newbie goat stories were hilarious and um, I didn't realize goats were so popular. I mean, they've gotten really popular over the years. They're in lots of little, I guess, spoof videos and things like that, but they're just, they're hilarious creatures. They, they're different than any animal you'll ever have because, you know, we've had sheep and we've had a cow and they, they're different. They have these crazy personalities that just, um, it's just hilarious.
0: So, what makes them hilarious?
2: Well, you'll just have they'll uh, <laughs> just have all these weird quirks. Like, we've had goats before that have fainted over things that freak them out, and we've had goats. Oh my that, gosh! Yeah. Oh man, we've had goats that they're just so funny. Some of them are really naughty. Some of them are really smart, and they can figure out things. Um, we used to have this goat that could like pick up a stick and scratch itself with the stick. And oh then no would... way! No, it was awesome. And then and then she would like eat the stick. It would we just like, crack up laughing. And it's just that they just have this kind of personality, and they're they stare at you a lot. It's the funniest thing. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I remember the first time I went to go look at goats, and they were all staring at me and all of their faces. And I was thinking like, what is going on here? Uh-huh. It's kind of creepy, but yeah, they're just they're just hilarious to have.
0: So, you have goats now, I'm sure, yes?
2: Yes, yes.
0: Great. How many?
2: So, we actually keep a very small herd because goats produce a lot of milk. So, uh-huh. right now, we only have, we usually only keep two goats in milk because two goats will give us about six to seven gallons a week. And that is plenty for oh our Oh, my gosh. Yeah, just plenty for our family of four. And then what you do to keep them in milk is once a year you breed them so that they will what we call refreshen or freshen their Uh milk. Then they'll have baby goats again, usually in the spring. And then that will kind of restart the milk process. And in about eight weeks, you sell the baby goats or you can keep them and raise them. We're just not we're not willing to have this huge, huge herd. So Uh we typically raise them. And then sell them to local people, either FFA kids or maybe new goat farmers, things like that. And so we keep a very small herd. We also actually raise sheep for milk and meat. So uh, we Mm. have a little, we have a milking sheep as well. And then we, then she'll have babies and sometimes we'll raise um, her offspring for meat or milk.
0: Oh, interesting. So, Yeah, yeah. So cow milk tastes a particular way, goat milk. Tastes a, tastes a particular way. I'm sure that sheep milk does too.
2: Well, actually, it's a little bit of a myth that goat's milk really tastes any different than cow's milk. It's They're very, very similar. And that was one of the first things I was nervous about when we got goats is uh-huh. that am I going to have to choke down this like pungent milk? And um, I remember the very first time I went to pick up my goat and uh, I went to the farm and all, this lady had all these kids, you know, are homeschooled or whatever. And they were all standing around there watching me taste my very first taste of goat's milk. Uh-huh. And I was, I, I just exclaimed, oh my gosh, it tastes just like regular milk. And one of the little kids said, well, what did you think it was going to taste like? <laughs> and, and so I was just, I was in shock. So the difference between what most people taste at the store and what you can get on a farm, it's huge. It's Mm. huge. Well, there are a lot of things that can actually change the flavor of goat's milk. And one in particular is when the male goat is kept around the female goats. Uh So their pheromones are so strong that they can actually change the composition and flavor of the milk. And so, yeah. And there are also certain breeds that taste stronger. Um, so what we do is we keep the breeds of of goats that are very mild tasting. So in fact, we've done. I have a little taste test on my on my website where we t- did a taste test with cows, sheep, and goat milk, and you know they pretty much all taste the same. Hmm. And um, and yeah, so we we've definitely fooled a lot of people over the years, and that's uh, that's one of the things that makes us really excited about sharing about how to milk goats. Yeah. With
0: people. No kidding. So y- y- you said. You have two that you're keeping milk right now, right? And you get seven or eight gallons of milk a week.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. What do you do with it all? I know, it's nuts. Well, that's a really good question because our fridge is overflowing right now. But Uh uh, we, we of course, drink it. And then we also will make yogurt or cheese. We'll make ice cream from it. Uh Um, The one thing that is different with goat's milk is that it doesn't separate the cream doesn't separate it's naturally homogenized oh interesting because of that fact you can't really make butter from goat's milk they they do have some machines you can buy that will like mechanically separate the cream from the from the milk but most people in just a regular home setting don't do that so we can't make butter that's the only Mm -hmm. thing that we don't make Um, but everything else we've we've pretty much made with goat's milk. We also will kind of feed it back to our chickens or um, back to our dogs. And then a lot of times we, we actually don't sell our milk, but we will give it away to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we'll have people contact us that have a newborn that's struggling with formula. Oh, right. Goat's milk is great for, uh, yeah. to help a newborn thrive. The little things like that. So, um, and then we'll also freeze it and we can use it for soaps and things like
0: that interesting so and, and I'm sure that you've made goats milk cheese yes
2: yes yes
0: so I about a year and a half ago I decided I was gonna get some raw goats milk and make, okay. some, make some cheese thinking that it was gonna be this huge day-long massive process right and, and what turned out to be something that I, I had built in my head like stupidly big it turned out to be really really simple
2: Oh, really? So what What kind did you make? Did you make just like kind of the chevre goat cheese kind of maybe yeah. cream but, cheesy?
0: Yeah. yeah. And cool. so I want you to tell people how that process goes because it was really simple.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, so what you made was probably what's called chevre and it is a... It is what most people think of when you say the word goat cheese. But actually, goat's milk can be used just like any other milk. So we make mozzarella and oh. cheddar and all sorts of things because it, it works the same way. It has the same, pretty much the same composition. Uh-huh. But exactly what you're saying, you can make a really quick actual goat cheese. It's like a crumbly kind of feta. Yep, that's exactly
0: what, yep. Cheese.
2: Yeah, oh man, you can make that in just like an hour, you know, and then it's like, then it's done and you've got a bunch of that. So, so. tell
0: us, give us a recipe for that.
2: Okay, so when you make Chevre, usually what you just do is you're gonna add a culture to the cheese and uh-huh. that's gonna kind of give it that that culture of the flavor. So you'll basically pour the milk into a into a pot and then you'll add the culture and get it up to a certain temperature and then it needs to culture and which it actually happens pretty fast. Yeah. And then um, it'll kind of thicken up. And basically, when you're making chivalry, you'll kind of strain it a little bit. Some people like it a little bit drier or a little bit wetter. Mm-hmm. And after that's done, you can add like herbs and salt it. And that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah. a lot of people will strain it. And actually, um, you probably did that. You had like a cheesecloth or a butter mussel yeah, that you put it exactly. in. Yeah, Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's really easy to make that cheese. What I, most of the time, what we make is mozzarella. So, we will put the milk in a big pot, and then we'll add an acidic, something acidic. So, you can do lemon juice. Right. We do, we do an actual, it's called citric acid. And then we will kind of raise the temperature just a little bit, get it to the right temperature, and then we'll start to basically stretch it and stretch it and stretch it. And it Ooh. turns into this, like, amazing mozzarella. And we, wow. uh, we freeze it, and it usually we usually can provide ourselves with the whole whole year of... Of cheese with plenty of cheese. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, cheddar is a little harder because it takes an aging process. So mm. you're going to need to put it somewhere at 55 degrees and a certain humidity for about two months, and that is a little bit harder because you've gotta you gotta have a place for that. But regular old mozzarella or chèvre, like you said, is so easy.
0: One of the things that was really cool was as we were heating it, we started and then it had to get up to you know exactly what 195 degrees or something like that and not it wasn't we weren't letting it boil and then we started adding a little bit of lemon juice a little bit of time and as we were adding that lemon juice it was curdling
2: yes yes it totally does that it separates
0: yeah it was so amazing to and literally it took us like an hour
2: yeah, and you know what's amazing to me is like how they originally figured this out. Like, who thought we're going to take milk and then we're going to add this and then we're going to make cheese? It's just crazy the whole process of cheese. In-
0: interesting, you should say that. I think that way about a lot of things, like mm-hmm. beer and wine. Yes, and yes. Che- yeah, who who thought of this stuff? It's like yeah, wow, so like
2: we're going to take this grain and we're going to get it all nasty and fermented. <laughs> and yeah. We're going to, yeah, it's crazy, but yeah. it's an art definitely to learn yeah. how to actually do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna switch a little bit on you, and how do you incorporate permaculture into your farm?
2: So originally, we just, I think it's very natural for people to say, okay, here's my garden, okay, and now here's where my chickens are, and then here's where my goats are, and Uh we've got everybody organized and divided up, but, we found that it was a lot better and easier on us as farmers to kind of incorporate different permaculture practices. So, one of the first things we do is we let our chickens free range. So, I know uh, not everybody can do that and yep. so there are some opinions on whether that's even safe for for their chickens, but in our area it's perfectly safe. So, we do that and we let our chickens kind of have an array of everything and then they all ov- they obviously um, we have a couple different areas for goats and we'll let, we'll kind of open those up and let the chickens go in and break it down a little bit. But I would say the biggest part is that we kind of, we kind of use their fertilizer, their poop mm-hmm. for, for different things over the farm. So we'll let that break things down. Um And we're actually currently trying to build this, this better permaculture situation where we can rotate growing wheat or corn.
0: Oh, Nice
2: and then yeah and then we'll switch the goats to the other pens. Normally we actually let them have our entire acre, but um there are, you'll always run in these little issues with goats where you need to divide one mama and her baby from mm. this one, her baby because sometimes they just don't get along. So we're going to create these little situations where when they're divided for any reason, they're all they're also kind of preparing the soil so right. that we can come in the following season. Okay and till that up and do some do something big like a big harvest because I mean we definitely have our garden but you know <laughs> try to grow wheat or corn or something like that you need a bigger area.
0: Cool. Yeah. And you're growing all this stuff to eat it.
2: Uh, yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If it, yeah. It's been it's been fun. It's definitely a learning process.
0: Yeah. You mentioned um, that you grow you're growing sheep for meat. Yes. That's an interesting process. Tell us, maybe not the gory details, but tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Well, it's actually one of the cheapest, most efficient things to grow for meat because sheep actually just eat grass and nothing else. I mean, some people people can buy hay, some kind of hay and feed it to them. But in Arizona, if you have an irrigated lot, I mean, or if you have Bermuda grass, Mm -hmm. the best thing you can do is get a sheep because – um, the growing process for them is they're considered a lamb up till one year of age, and so we basically put them out in our pasture. They are happy they just thrive on the grass. They drink fresh water, so that is basically free food for them. That food that that grass is fertilized. That uh-huh. food, that grass grows on its own, and then the sheep eat it, and they grow nice and big and fat on it. And then at the uh-huh. end of the yeah. year, before they reach the year age, so they're full grown about. Eighty, maybe a maybe hundred pounds, mm-hmm. then that's when we will butcher them. And so they're still called lamb, but lamb doesn't mean baby. That means full grown, but just about right at the year mark. Got it. Um, when you get older than that, then you start getting into the the mutton terms. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, the reason why we love it is because it is just such an efficient use of all this Bermuda grass that all we right. have. One big myth about goats is that they're grazers and that they eat grass. People will buy goats to mow their lawn. And goats, while they definitely will eat it if they have to, they don't prefer it. And so they don't really have optimal health on just grass alone. So you have to kind of supplement goats diet with different kinds of forage, like hay Uh or, you know, whatever. And so, but with sheep, they actually if they eat lots of alfalfa or even if they have a little bit of grain, they will get a lot of fat on their organs and Mm. they will actually get sick and die. Oh wow. So their body composition is a lot different. So they actually just need grass and that's it. I mean, you can do a mineral supplement, but I'm talking about like that's pretty much all their food. Uh Yeah. And it's really as a grass fed lamb is just one of, one of our favorite uh, meats and we typically don't eat a lot of meat. So we, probably for our family's meat for a whole year a family of 4 we usually have one one lamb that we'll butcher and then we butcher uh, we do one cycle of meat chickens uh, mm, probably right. about 30 chickens and we put that all in our freezer and we just make it last for about a year till next year
0: so and you have younger kids
2: uh yeah they're they're 11 and 13 so they're getting getting up there now
0: perfect and they don't get attached to these Farm animals. I'm gonna even go as far as saying pets.
2: You know, they don't. We we. I think once your kids have been raised in that situation where uh-huh. they understand that that's where their meat comes from. Yeah. I mean, they just definitely don't get attached to it. We we definitely call them, give them a name, and we give them affection and we take care of them and. But yeah, we, we definitely don't. My kids are there for the butchering, and they help.
1: Wow! And
2: um, one of the best things that I ever did was when I first learned about how to butcher. I I had this this old man come over who, mm-hmm. um, from his <laughs> culture, from mm-hmm. his culture and yeah. his uh, his Hispanic culture, he taught us all about having respect for the animal, um, doing it in a respectful way. So when we actually butcher our animals, we just very quickly cut the jugular vein, Uh which means they bleed out, they bleed out very calmly while we pet them very slowly and they pass out. So we definitely don't shoot them or, I mean, I know people can do that too, and that's totally fine. I'm just saying that we, we definitely try to do it in as gentle way as possible, which makes us feel better about what we're doing. But I think in the end, if you're going to eat meat, you need to be comfortable with, with raising your own. If you're not willing to do that and then you probably shouldn't be eating meat because I think that's a, an important part of knowing where your food comes from. Yeah.
0: That how beautifully said. I, I'm not a vegetarian and about five, four or five years ago, I decided to raise some meat birds because that's oh. most, mostly what I eat is poultry. Yeah. And so I raised a couple of rounds of, of, uh, meat birds here at the urban farm all the way from oh, chick to plate. And yeah. I did, and I did the butchering too. And it's you know, I'd never killed anything before. So,
2: oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first I, time is interesting. <laughs> it is.
0: It is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it brought, it had me bring great respect to the process and now I'm more than happy to pay for an organic chicken at the farmer's market that was, ra- you know, grass raised and
2: yeah. Yeah. You know. And don't you feel a little bit, you pause mm-hmm. a little bit when you buy meat, because yeah. I, I, when I look at stuff, we go to the store and there's something we go. I, I like, I think about that animal and I'm like, okay, well, do we need meat right now? Like, what would we have? What Mm -hmm. can we, you know, and it's just, it's a different mentality when you, once you've gone through the experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So what is something you do differently than other backyard farms and homesteads?
2: Well, we do a couple different sustainable methods. So we don't, we don't clean out our coop. We don't muck out stalls. So what we do is we actually, when we built our little, areas for our goats we made sure that most of it was going to be flood irrigated Mm -hmm. and that during that time they would still have an area for a couple days to go to go be to go stand up somewhere else they didn't have to be in the water right but then that way the bulk of what was happening we were starting to the breakdown process yeah and we weren't just like and it was saving us tons of labor you know Mm -hmm. we're not having to go out there scoop anything and then with our chicken coop We just do kind of like a deep litter method. So Mm -hmm. we'll just pile on some more um, wood chips and let it all break down and it does its thing and um, no problems. So so yeah, I think that we, the biggest, another myth with kind of backyard farming is the idea that you're going to spend hours every day out there, you know, waking up, going out there, mucking out the stalls in the morning for two hours. And that's just not how it is with animals. There is a very sustainable way to do it where- you know, it all works out.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned flood irrigation, and we've got listeners all over the world, and a lot of them oh, probably right. don't know what that is. So, can you kind of tell us about the, that experience and what it is?
2: Yeah. So, when you live in somewhere like the desert, it's kind of the solution for watering your lawn. So, instead of using like a sprinkler system, uh, because we don't get rainfall enough to kind of sustain our lawns and our trees and all that, we will get water from the lakes that come down kind of a canal system. And then we're, it, we're allotted a certain amount and that will water our entire yard. So about every other week, we will open a little port at the very back of our property mm-hmm. and it will allow water to flood actually our entire property, our entire acre. It's, it's pretty. It's an amazing sight. Every yeah. time I do it, I'm in awe. Um, And you always think like, gosh, what a waste of water. But actually my husband, uh, he just retired from SRP. So he and he was in the hydro department. So he dealt a little bit with it. Yeah. And and he's he was like, no, no, it's more efficient. It's more efficient. You say and there's less um, if you take city water, a lot of that has to be treated. Whereas when it comes from the lake, very minimal, if any treatment. And then it's obviously when you're sprinkling An area you're going to get a lot of the evaporation, so it's a lot easier or a lot more efficient to do the flood irrigation, and we love it. I think it's it makes our trees healthier, and and we love it. I mean, you have it on your farm, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. Absolutely. So, and just as a side note for our listeners, flood irrigation in in the valley here in the phoenix metropolitan area it's a actually a water right that comes with your land and it it goes back a hundred years when they were building the dams and the farmers had to put their land up for collateral and as as a as a trade-off they were guaranteed this in into perpetuity this water right so those of us that have flood water are on old agricultural land And so I love it when you you and us and other people are actually returning it back to that agricultural land.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we also try try to make the best use of that flood irrigation that we get. So when we first bought this house, the front yard was raised up with a sprinkler system. And we mm. thought, oh, no, oh, no, we are going to take that down. And we are going to make a way for this irrigation to get to the front yard. And that's where we put all of our fruit trees so that a nice. uh, majority of them, because our goats would destroy it. So oh, majority yeah. of them are over there. And now we have all these fruit trees and avocado trees and everything just getting this flood irrigation to our front yard as well. And I like, it makes me so happy. I don't Uh use the sprinkler system or a drip system. It's just like, there we go. There's Perfect.
0: Perfect. And and I think it's much more efficient when we start watering food with our flood irrigation rather than just lawn.
2: Right, right. Exactly.
0: So can you talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it?
2: I have failed a lot with animals. I kind of mentioned at the beginning, like using a breast pump on a goat, which oh, yeah. is pretty pretty low. <laughs> a little blow. Yeah, break. but it I
0: got the job done. Got
2: the job done. I don't care. But I think with um, my biggest struggle probably has been with gardening because you really do assume, well, gosh, I'll just take this plant, I'll put it in the dirt, and then I'll give it some water, and everything will be hunky dory. But right. it's. It's not how it works. And it's a very humbling experience because you realize you really don't know anything yeah. <laughs> at all, ever. But what's what I think the best advice somebody gave me, and it was actually Jake Mace. I was I was having some success, not some success, and I was thinking, where where do I go? Where who's gonna just tell me everything? And he said, Well, of course he said your name, Greg, you know, go to Greg, but they also said, just immerse yourself in it, just dive in. Yeah. Don't be afraid, and um, just keep going because mm-hmm. you'll eventually learn more and more and more, and then you'll just become more of an expert with it. And um, but initially, yeah, there I've done ridiculous things like where I've purchased—I'm <laughs> so embarrassed. I've purchased, uh,
0: I know, like, but say you it know, anyways.
2: Like six yards of compost, and then I thought, okay. I'm going to just plant just in this compost in Uh-oh. the summer, in the summer. Oh, yeah. And uh, why isn't anything growing? growing? I can't figure it out. This is such great soil. I wasn't getting any water. It was all like going out the sides. Um, and so you learn different things. You learn about, what living soil is—that's mm. an important thing that I learned. Oh, yeah. you've got to—you've got to not only make sure that you're retaining the water and the moisture, but now you've got to like feed it and keep it alive and keep it living. And each year, it just keeps getting better and it gets a little easier. And I think the biggest thing for me though was realizing that finding the little microclimates on my on my oh, land. Yes. Yeah. And I think it might have been you. I remember. So I think it was one of your webinars where you said. Um, we talked about a hot spot. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that's a genius idea because I have the side of my house where, of course, it's just in the summer, it's just like so hot. So I thought, well, gosh, why don't I try to put tomatoes in there in like September and see if I can get some tomatoes to kind of go longer and little things like that, that I, I would have never thought of. So I think recognizing where the microclimates are, where the sun is and understanding that in one area, a plant might do really well but another one might not do as well. Just understanding that little principle probably changed the most for everything for me, probably.
0: Fantastic. What do you consider your biggest success?
2: Oh, let's see. What's my biggest success? I think my biggest success is... Not being afraid to just jump in and do stuff. I think that, that <laughs> that's... But I mean, I think uh, I always feel little successes. I mean, today we just made salsa from tomatoes from our gardens. Oh, so that's nice. just You taste that salsa and you're oh, just yeah. like, this is nothing like the tomatoes in right. the store. It's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Probably the most success I've felt is when I our meal, our entire meal is from everything on the farm. That is like the best to me. Isn't when, that great? Yeah, I love that. I love going out. there has got the fruit, we've got you know, fresh grapefruit from the tree, and then we've got mulberries and then we've, it's all everything together. And then we get the kale and we have this huge salad. And mm-hmm. It's just, it's awesome. It yeah. has the best feeling.
0: I do want to do a shout out to you. I think <laughs> you've had a tremendous amount of success with outreach. I mean, how many people do you have following you on Facebook?
2: Yeah, I think I have almost eighty thousand on Facebook. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you do these these weekly emails uh, with content and blog posts.
2: Yeah, I'm just all about really giving people the actual how to do something. I yeah. feel. That, I, that, that was lacking for me. I could never really get the information I needed, and then I also like to add my humor in it a little bit and uh-huh. try to make it make you feel a little bit better about your little failures here and there. But um, I'm all about really helping people succeed. So if I can give you advice that's going to help you have more success in your first year of either owning a goat or gardening or have you know trying meat chickens for the first time, yeah. I'm going to give you everything I've got so that you can hopefully have learn from my mistakes at least.
0: Right. And you know that's the biggest reason why we do a lot of the classes that we do. You know cuz Kari and I we've been growing for decades and we've explored yeah. and and found all these cool ways to do things that can save people and money and people money and time and I I think that you probably are, you know, kind of doing the same thing, aren't you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um I just it just makes me happy to hear people that I get emails, I probably get emails every day that say like, I'm about to go get my first goat today or whatever, you know, and (laughs) then I'll okay, are you sure you're doing this and that? And try to help them out through it. But yeah, that makes me happy.
0: Yeah, cool. What drives you?
2: Ooh, I would say ultimately health, like a better healthy lifestyle, Mm -hmm. because I really feel like that's, you have like one body and you have this one shot. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just. And and just the love of real food, that is the simplicity of real food. It's just, it's its unmatched. You just can't find it anywhere. You can't go yeah. to the store and you can't replace it. And so, yeah, just creating that lifestyle with my family is just a blast.
0: And I can tell in your voice, you just love it.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's fun.
0: So I'm all about education. and I have to know, is there one book or some internet resources that have been influential in this process for you?
2: Well, you know, I think for me, I'm kind of an online person. So I just dove into whoever the experts were. I listen to them, follow them. But um, I think overall with health, uh, learning, there are a few like traditional healthy books that got me on the health journey, Uh Um, like nourishing traditions or things like that. Just knowing knowing that what real whole food could do for me, not really being afraid of fat. I actually used to be vegan and I used to think that that was – the ultimate, um, but when I started raising my own food, I just kind of found this more natural uh, inclusion of of milk and you know dairy and yeah. eggs and meat. And so for me, not overthinking it and just eating the real food diet was more instrumental. So I would almost say that, even though I know that's not really a farming book, but that okay. kind of spurred everything for me.
0: Yeah. No, and and it, you know when you really think about it, it is. It's, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people, and, and, you know, several people have talked about this, it's the catalyst that mm-hmm. gets you thinking about, okay, I got to put better food in if I'm going to feel healthier. Yeah. And that's the catalyst to do it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Fantastic. Anything else?
2: Um, Let's see. I don't think so. I think I just, I really uh, absorb as much as I can. So I yeah. like, I mean... Even though I write about farming and gardening, I watch every one of your webinars. I just <laughs> do because I know that I might learn something new yeah. or I might learn something that will tweak or help this other area that I'm working on. And so I think the biggest thing is I just never stop learning.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's so this morning we had a tour here at the Urban Farm in, in oh, the did front you? yard. Yeah. And there was like, I don't know, 35, 40 people here for the tour. And there was this young gentleman. He was, uh, I'm going to say he was 25.
1: Okay. And that's
0: the cool thing. When I get people coming here physically yeah. to the tours, you know, I get people that are 95 and people that are 25 wow, and everything cool. in between, right? So yeah. we're talking tomatoes right now is tomato season uh-huh. and we're talking tomatoes in the front yard and he kind of stuck up his hand and he said, you know what? Because somebody was asking about birds and how do you keep the birds from your tomatoes? And okay. he said, you know what? My grandmother taught me that if you put a bowl of fresh water in the tomato patch, the birds go to the fresh water, they drink the fresh water, and they leave your tomatoes alone.
2: Really? Do you think that's true? I,
0: I, I don't know, but I'm going to try it. And, is- and like I said, he was like 25, and, he, and then he said, and I tried it, and I've been doing it for years now, and it works.
1: Oh, so that's my gosh. That is
0: one of the reasons I love teaching and doing tours is could I get to learn cool stuff like that, too, you know?
2: Yeah, we're yeah. always learning. I think one of the most reassuring things was when I listened to one of your webinars and you said, yeah, I just tried to grow beets and it didn't work or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And yeah. I thought, oh, that makes me feel so much better because I still you still have failures, but that's OK. Oh, yeah. You're always learning. I love that. That's and you know, what's so funny is that the the wisdom that like we lose from those older people. I'm like, I uh-huh. want to. Oh, right? How and, do you bottle it? Yeah. So cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
2: I would say just jump in and don't be afraid of, of the idea of failure. People always want a sure thing. So they'll ask a lot of questions, but they won't actually just go do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just got to go just just jump in. Just go start doing something you know. You know one thing and you know there's this one plant you want to grow. We'll read all about that plant and you know, ask in groups or whatever and just go for it. Yeah. You just there's no other way because nobody can save you from failure. You're gonna have some failures. Uh-huh. But that that's the good thing. You will never make that mistake again. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. So,
2: yeah, that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Danielle.
2: Yeah, yeah, no problem. It was fun.
0: How can our listeners get a hold of you?
2: Well, I'm on a lot of social media, so you'll see me on Facebook and Instagram. But if you can go to my website, that would be great because you can Perfect. grab, um, you can get on my email list. Uh-huh. And then I'm always emailing things all the time, goofy things that are happening or new articles. Yep. Um, so it's weedemandreap.com.
0: Spell that for us so that yeah, we- Yeah,
2: I know, that's, that's a tough one. It's W E E D E M A N D. W E E D E M A N D. R-E-A-P. So Weed'em and
0: Reap. .com, perfect. And that'll be on the show notes page. All right. So perfect. Perfect. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org.